Solar Moon in Pacha, Sunday night, summer. I mean, this is like it. And he's standing there with this like plaid shirt and I kid you not, a fanny pack and Dockers. I'm Nick Harcourt. Welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music and the songs and bands that have helped shape their lives. Our guest today is L. Hawkins, a macroeconomist who serves as the chief macro strategist for Tomatica Research. L. is a regular guest on Fox Business Network and authored the book Cocktail Investing with Tomatica's chief investment officer, Chris Vitacci. That was released back in 2016, and L. has also worked in a wide range of financial financial market roles from building data systems that power some of the largest asset management firms in the world to building her own investment management firm, advising both domestic and international clients. She's also a devoted handy woman we hear and considers herself to be a bit of a female Bob Vila. Welcome. It's great to meet you. Thanks. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, uh, that you like Bob Vila part. Yeah, the, the Bob Vila part usually ends up with a lot of band-aids. My my aspirations regularly outpace my inspiration, <laughs> my abilities. <laughs> Let me ask you about what's going on in your world right now. What is the economy doing right now? Are we in good space? Are we in a bad space? Are we in an in-between space? So I think right now we we're kind of in a bit of a rolling over and which direction it goes is still up for grabs. We still have a lot of the benefit of all of that fiscal stimulus and the Fed stimulus, right? That was basically like just shooting a lot of caffeine. So the economy and the markets got really jacked up from that. And that hasn't really faded away yet. But we're in this really interesting dynamic, which we've actually never seen something like this, where you have really high unemployment relative to normals. And then you've got all these companies that are saying they can't hire people. And so they're raising the amount of money that they're willing to pay people and they still can't get people to come back to work. Is this something that's going to last when the last of, you know, the unemployment and all that, is that really, is it going to stick around and people just decided, screw it, I hate work and I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we, we don't really know. So that's, that's a big question because the growth in an economy is really simple. It's actually just based on two things the growth of the labor pool. So the more people that are there to work, the faster the economy can grow and the growth of productivity. Productivity is actually doing really well. The pandemic helped because it taught us all to accomplish a lot more with a lot less. But if we have this problem where if we can't get people back to work, that's going to be tough. What's actually driving the economy right now? Unfortunately, it's a lot of government spending. We've got some good things going with, you know, companies are starting to invest in, like I said, with the productivity, there's been a lot of investment in technology so that we can do more with less. That's been really good. The challenge though, is we keep hearing about how spending went up and there's all this money on the sidelines and the consumer is doing fantastic. Mm -hmm. So for that's only when you look at the number, like the big picture of the number, because that aggregates everyone into one bucket. If you take that apart and look at, say, wealth levels or income levels, it was really the people who already had a lot of money that did even better. And the people who didn't have a lot of money, they're still really struggling and struggling even more. So driving the economy has been the people who have money. They didn't lose their job, right? Because that was a white collar job. You were able to work from home. Eh. But if you were more a service sector, you know, it's not like you can do massages from home. Exactly. So as we're sort of still pulling ourselves out of the pandemic, can you give me a little bit of a crystal ball? How do you see things unfolding uh, towards the end of the year and into 2022? 
I think we're going to have more bumps. So when we came into the year, what we saw was expectations were less than what the reality was. And you can see that it's in this metric called the Citibank Economic Surprise Index. And what that measures, it's really simple. It measures how, when data is coming in, what did we expect it to be versus what it was. And if that thing is moving up, that means that stuff came in better than we expected. And right now, the, the metric has gone negative, which means the majority of things coming in are coming in not as good as we expected. And we also saw that with earnings. So what I think we're going to see the back half of the year is the economy is not going to be nearly as strong as we expected. I think there's going to be a lot of surprises around inflation, because when you think about it, inflation, okay, if we're really talking about that suddenly there's going to be more demand for stuff than there is supply, does that really make sense? We just had this massive wealth destruction event with a global pandemic. Are we really, like a year out, are we really going to have where people want more stuff and we can't possibly keep up with that? So there's inflation that just intuitively doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But getting those supply chains worked out is going to be complicated. I think we're going to see weaker economy the second half of the year. I think the employment situation is going to continue to be a problem because we are not out of the woods yet on this pandemic with the Delta variant and God only knows what variant is going to come up next. So I think it's it's going to be bumpier than we expect and growth won't be as good as we expect. How much have you seen the economy change in the last almost year, I guess, since the ramping up to the last election and obviously a change of government, stimulus kept coming. Has it stopped? Do you think they're going to try and find some more to, to prop the economy up based on what you just said? I think that's actually, when you look at the markets and the stock markets, everybody talks about it. The stock markets are really, really pricey. They're very elevated. And that elevated would make sense if we were going to have fantastic growth prospects. I think what is the unexpected thing that would be good for the stock market, but not so good for the real economy is that we could get a lot more stimulus. We could get another round because traditionally, whenever we've had a recession, and obviously it's tough to talk about anything traditionally because this whole global pandemic, that was new. You know, we, that While we've had those before, has been Nobody 100 remembers. years. Yeah. Yeah. And we've never had one with a, a global economy that was this interconnected. So this really is just, there's no playbook. Yeah. I mean, never where we've had supply chains like this or where you could have one person be infected and that person could within 24 hours affect people all over the world because of global travel being the way it is today versus hundred years ago. But traditionally when we've had a recession, the fed comes in and does its stimulus and then everybody starts to panic. Oh, there's going to be inflation and the bond yields go up and everybody's worried. The inflation goes up and we always overestimate it. It always turns over. It has always. And the fed comes in with, typically two more rounds of stimulus, even though every single time there's this talk about, oh, we overshot, oh, there's going to be inflation and oh, this is a big disaster. Now that, that's been the historic norm. So that, I think that's where you could look at the stock market and think, oh, can't possibly get any higher because fundamentals just aren't there, but it could actually go higher because we could get more stimulus. Now on the fiscal side from the government, that's going to be tough because we're already heading into like, right around the corner from where that 2022 election cycle is going to begin. And then everybody gets a lot nastier and it's more difficult to get any agreement. And right now too, don't forget, we're back into the extraordinary measures with the federal government because we already hit the debt ceiling. So the treasury is having to get really creative with how it pays its bills. 
and that we will completely run out of money, which we've, we've done, done this before, completely run out of the ability to cut checks. Others think it's sometime around October, maybe early November. And that could be, if that doesn't get resolved, if everybody stays really cantankerous, that could be another tough problem that freaks out the market. And then does that take a certain amount of time to sort of shake itself out? Like if all of these things happen in the fall of this year, does yeah. that mean it takes another year for things to really shake out, whether it's on the good side, positive side or, or not? That, yes, if we also add in what could happen next with this pandemic, right? Because so far, so far, the data on actual breakthrough infections, if you're vaccinated and you get infected again and you get sick, those probabilities are all really low. The probability of getting sick, then the probability of, of catching it all, then the probability of actually being really sick, like sick, you need to go to the hospital. Because remember with all this, it's it's not, the idea here is we cannot stop people from getting sick, period. Like the whole problem with this is just down to hospitalizations. If so many people get sick, that they're all in the hospital and we don't have enough hospital beds to treat the people sick from the pandemic, let alone somebody who you know is in a car accident and trips and falls, that's where you have a really big problem. If we get a variant that pushes us back into that, then all bets are off. And where are we going to go? Where's the yeah, money going to come back, from? Uh, then we're back in the spring of 2020 all of a sudden. And we yeah, exactly. Wait, right? And yeah. that's kind of the race right now with trying to get vaccinations. We just want to slow how, how frequently that this virus can move around because the more people it can infect, the more people, the more opportunities for variants, right? For mutations, you know? So that remains to be seen. Well, that's the heavy stuff. Um, yeah, the <laughs> let's get to, <laughs> to the fun stuff. We're going to talk about music in a moment, but I have, I have one question before we jump into the music. Talking about Bob Vila, you got any home repair projects that you're, you're currently working on? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, painting, and that didn't didn't go so great. So lesson learned, if you want to repaint your banister, I have this really beautiful banister going up the stairs, and I looked at it, I was like, oh, you know, this is probably outside of my skill set. I feel like I'm just not going to do that. A word to the wise, if painting a banister, do your best to keep the banister on the stairs and paint it there, because if you take it off, it may not fit back together quite the way it used to, and it will look a little lumpy. Say no more. It, it honestly just comes down to an excuse for me to be able to buy a skill saw, which I've secretly wanted to do for years. And <laughs> now I have an excuse. <laughs> now it's like it's economical. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And you got to support the economy through Home Depot or wherever you go get these things, right? Right. I'm just being a good American. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about music. Um, if you're just joining us, by the way, I'm Nick Harcourt and you're listening to the Sound of Success. Our guest is the macro economist and uh, DIY enthusiast, Al Hawkins. <laughs> um, do you remember your first, the first moment where music struck you, your first musical memory, whether it was as a child sitting in a car or somebody playing music around the house? Well, what is your earliest musical memory? Nat King Cole, The Christmas Story. I remember being a little kid and I'm in the kitchen and dad comes in and he grabs me. We do a little dance. My mom was actually, so my mom was a national ballroom dance champion of Ireland. She's an amazing dancer. And my father, quite possibly the worst dancer ever, but she <laughs> trained him. She got him a little bit better. He still had what she called like this little Winnemucca hop where he'd like bounce around inappropriately, but, uh, but he was a pretty good dancer. So he grabbed me and he, I put my little feet on his feet and we would waltz around the kitchen 
to Nat King Cole and I could smell a tiny little bit. My dad wasn't a big drinker, but he loved port in the winter. And so I could smell a little bit of port on his breath and mom's giggling and we're dancing. And it's just that warm sound of Nat King Cole, fire in the fireplace, and just all was good with the world. And when I hear yes, that now, anytime I listen to Nat King Cole, I still just like, oh, all's okay in the world. Fabulous voice. Um, what was the first music you bought with your own money? Yeah, my parents did not like this one. <laughs> so the first one was I bought a the single to Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. All right. <laughs> My, so I was a big skier, grew up just constantly on the slopes and all my friends, we'd be up there and we would sing the lyrics to the song and another one down, another one, another yeah. one fights it. That's when people would fall below us. Which Perfect for the probably, slopes. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, but I was, I was really ashamed because I didn't quite know the lyrics well enough. So I bought the single and would play it again and again and again and again. That's Why'd you say your parents um, weren't too sure about that? Well, I don't think they really appreciated Queen. They were definitely more the like Nat King Cole, Sinatra, Tchaikovsky, Beethoven. Yes, they weren't big on Queen. And I think probably playing it repeatedly and I I cannot carry (laughs) a tune. That would drive anybody nuts. Right. And I I can't carry a tune to save my life, but that doesn't stop me. So I'm belting it out. (laughs) Oh, so the combination of Freddie Mercury belting it out and you singing along was just a little too much, huh? no one should have to live through that. <laughs> what about live music, um, concerts? What was the first concert you went to? Boingo Boingo at the Roxy in Hollywood. Wow. Yeah, it was, oh my God, fantastic. Boingo Boingo on stage. I mean, Danny Elfman, obviously like he's written every soundtrack. He's just an amazing, amazing musician. And them on stage, the energy was unreal, but Kind of sad now you see Sunset Strip is basically just hotel. And it was it was the absolute center of the music universe for so long. Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, even in the 20 years I've been in Los Angeles, it's sort of shifted from uh, mm. you know where all the cool clubs were to right. where, where the clubs made you pay to play, uh, which was going on in the 2000s and the, in the zeros and into the teens, I guess. And uh, as you said now, it's just like fancy hotels, uh, a lot of rich people wandering around the streets and... Um, how old were you, by the way, if you don't mind me asking, when you, when you went to that show? I was in my early teens. I was visiting a friend and it was a sneak out. I was sneak not out. supposed to go. Yeah, I was not. I was definitely not allowed to go do this. So it was one of my, one of my big rebel moments. I'm often asked, what is it about music that gets me? And, and I say, mm-hmm. well, it's two things. Uh, it either makes me want to tap my toes or yep. it makes me think, you know, depending mm-hmm. on is it a beat or is it lyrics? So I have a couple of questions around that. What do you listen to when you just want to dance? Well, there's a big range in there because I was a ballerina for the longest time. And I, I ended up having to choose between joining the Joffrey Ballet Company and going to college. And it said, I went to college. So if I really want to just kind of point my toes and relive that, it's going to be Tchaikovsky. If I feel like I really want to get just sweaty and mm, that's going to have to be some dubstep beats. Nice. That I mean, nothing is just ah. Oh, that music, the complexity of dubstep, you can do so much. Because when I hear music, I tend to see it more than hear it. I see colors and patterns, and dubstep just gives you so much to work with. It's like a fireworks explosion. 
I also love to dance to like the great trance DJs above and beyond or Calvin Harris. And if I want to go a little bit more mellow, maybe like the king of remixes, Kygo. Uh, if I'm making dinner, I'll throw on maybe like a little Otmar Liebert and do a little salsa around the kitchen. Are you a clubber? Do you head out to the clubs? Do you do any of those big shows in, in Vegas with all these massive uh, DJs who come in for a hundred grand a night? Oh yeah. Actually, I'm, I've, given that I, I spend so much time in Italy, I get to go to Ibiza a lot. And oh my God. So Ibiza, fantastic. And I have a bunch of friends there who have been going to Pacha, which is like, that is where EDM, right? That's where it started. And we, because they know people there and we've been friends forever, we usually get this great table that's right next to the DJ booth at Pot Shop, right? Like, I mean, this is, it doesn't get any better. And it always kind of cracks me up because I, like, I'm not the kind of person who would be there yet. I get to be there. And this one night, so picture this, this one night we're there and Solomon is playing. So it's like three o'clock in the morning. It's Solomon. He's like the coolest of the coolest. And one of our group, and I love him dearly, but one of our group is, let's just say, a bit fashion challenged, <laughs> and he's not really aware of that. So Solomon in Pacha, Sunday night, summer. I mean, this is like it. And there's right next to Solomon in our little VIP table. He's standing there with this like plaid shirt, and I kid you not, a fanny pack and dockers. I don't know what I to mean, say. You literally can't make that up. You cannot make that up. So we addressed the music that makes you happy, the music that makes you dance. Yeah. What about music that perhaps not makes you sad, but if you're feeling a little melancholy, are there any songwriters that you listen to? Miles Davis' Kind of Blue album is like a foggy morning when you're feeling kind of sad, cup of coffee, and somehow Miles Davis can make melancholy feel okay like it's just it's not that bad if i need something that's a little more pick me up maybe like matt and nathanson some mad hope that album is it's like melancholy but also hopeful and if i'm more of an intense sort of i'm sad but there's like a little anger in it one of the greatest pieces on earth for me mozart's requiem mass I mean, you put that thing on and just crank and it is in the sound, the angels and the devils are just battling it out. And that could kind of snap me out of it. Or if I just want to kind of lie there and wallow around, um, Martha Agrich, she's one of the greatest pianists of all time. And there's this album, um, it's called the legendary 1965 recording of Chopin. And it is, I mean, if, even for people who don't necessarily classical, if you're not really that into piano, you listen to that and it, it will just completely change what you think about piano and classical music. Just the, the intensity of that is just breathtaking. It's interesting you're talking about uh, classical music, obviously, and jazz. So you've, you've got a yeah. good grounding in that amazing music. And I'm wondering, living in Italy part of the time, I know that they have heaps of jazz festivals. In fact, I was at the Umbria Jazz Festival a couple of years ago working, doing something with uh, Quincy Jones up in Perugia. Do you do that stuff in the summer? Do you go seek out those jazz yep. festivals? Absolutely, when I possibly can do. Because there's nothing, just being there live is just always different. It's, a, it's the sound, everything about it is different. Do you look for new music? Are you an avid discoverer? Are you constantly trying to find new music? Or do you, I mean, how do you find new music? 
I actually, I need to be better at that. I rely, unfortunately, a little too much on Spotify's brain to bring new music to, to my attention or just friends that bring up new things or going to concerts, right? Going to jazz festivals like that, where I can see new artists play and find somebody that really speaks to me. We shall have to send you a link to my playlist on Spotify. We have a Spark oh. Network, a new music, new artist playlist that I curate and add songs to every week. And uh, we'll send really that to you. That. You can let Thank us know you. if you if you dig it or not. Yeah, it's up on Spotify. Do you have a recent musical discovery that perhaps you'd like to share with us? It doesn't have to be necessarily a new artist. It could just be somebody yeah. that you discovered. Well, that was actually the new one that I discovered was the Martha Agrich, that gotcha. the legendary 1965 recording. I just found that I have like a Sonos music system in my house and I love having the LPs. So I was going through and trying to find different LPs. You know, it's hard to find. Like I've got, I've got some death metal LPs. <laughs> those are actually a lot easier. Some of those are are strangely, I don't know. You could find amazing, and the the, the LP is actually artwork. But as I was going through this, I found some write-ups on on this piece, and especially in the LP form, it was just. I don't know. I, I guess it's a little weird to go from like death metal to <laughs> Chopin, but <laughs> it kind of works for me. <laughs> hey, you know, we can go from whatever we want to whatever we want. I mean, that's the revolution really, I think, in music yeah. is everybody being able to put whatever that music they like together on, into their own playlist. Everybody's their own curator now, right? And I think being able to do that, you understand better the evolution and how much a lot of these actually have in common. Like, I mean, Mozart's Requiem Mass, it, it's the intensity of that. I can't imagine. He would be the greatest DJ. What, what Mozart could have pulled off had he had the technology, because that is, I mean, Same. that is like, that would be Pacha, right? Like that back then, that was just the hottest music in town. Do you have a band or an artist that you've loved and feel that they never quite got the big break that they deserved? Yeah, definitely. There's a, this is one so back in the day, but uh, I think both Ministry and mm. Fishbone should have been a lot bigger, especially, I mean, Ministry, amazing. Fishbone, I mean, what they, the, the, the uniqueness and how they were such a crossover. Like, unfortunately, I think Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson really borrowed heavily from Al Jorgensen and they managed to become superstars. Fishbone, I think, was just way ahead of their time before that kind of crossover genre was really a thing. Right, exactly. Fishbone's still kicking around and, and doing great, I think, but- uh, Yeah, but so you gotta know them. <laughs> do you have a band or an artist that is a guilty pleasure? Oh yes, like Def Leppard and Poison, because really, glam metal is pure, <laughs> it's absolute unadulterated fun and, Frankly, if you're thinking about Def Leppard, who says that he wants to really say no to getting some sugar poured on them? Because that's really nothing but a good time. <laughs> say no more. Listen, it's been great talking to you at the end of our conversation. I always ask the same question. We've been talking about what you do for a living. We've been talking about the music that you love. As you get ready for the rest of your day, how are you feeling right now? So good. We're talking about music. That puts a smile on your face. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. 
For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com. <laughs>